For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, Kate Weiler is appointed ambassador to the UK just as English sailors are killed in a sneak attack. Can she learn who's behind the secret operation before the nation goes to war? We'll discuss the smoking hot Netflix series, The Diplomat. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, I see you've written and love of my life into the script. After all these years, I can no longer take it on faith that you will just say so that. So you've written it into the script, so like you're indoctrinating it. You're making it so I can't... I, you already did, but just in case you decide to like ever take that back, I'm, right. I've got it down there in writing. Okay, so if I don't say it, it has to be a choice. It has to be a choice. <laughs> and also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and the author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Say hello, Rocky. Hello, Rocky. Oh hello, God. Rebecca. Uh. You got grumpy cat. What happened to Rocky? He used to look much happier. He's just upset that he's not getting enough attention and he's stomping around back and forth where I'm sitting demanding like attention. Like every child of divorce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, Dad used to carry me around the house and mom is, And now mom you're always is, hanging yeah. out with your podcast friends. <laughs> yeah. Poor Rocky. Oh, Rocky and finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, your face when I made that cat divorce joke, you did not approve. <laughs> Just going to say. <laughs> Cats are the real victims. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's podcast, but we make two of these a week. What is happening on Thursday's show? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the Showtime sports documentary series, Catching Lightning. We're calling that a sports documentary series. <laughs> That's the division it came from. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's fun. All right. So, Kevin, before we start the show, there's some th- couple things you wanted to talk about that um, sort of preview our after show. Yeah, right? we have some true crime updates. Should true I do it? True crime podcast updates. Should I do it? Go ahead. Do it. <clears throat> true crime podcast updates. Wow. Okay. So what's going on? Well, I just want to bring you up today on two things that happened late last week. And so there may be more developments now by the time this podcast comes out. But two things happened on, uh, let's see, on Wednesday, they had the parole hearing for Leo Schofield from Bone Valley. So he's not arguing actual innocence in this proceeding, but he is arguing for parole after his decades of good behavior. The parole board, which we had reason to believe would be favorable to his application, sort of a mixed bag. They did not release him to parole, but they did reassign him to a uh, program that helps with, uh, you know, lifelong prisoners, lifelong inmates, help them transition back to the real world. So it's a program that he will be a part of, and they say next year he can reapply. So if everything goes well, he'll spend the next year in a um 
I guess it's a, a not a maximum security, but another kind of facility. Yeah, not a halfway house, but something like that. No, no, still, yeah, he's still incarcerated, but he's doing it with a lot of programs that I'm sure to have to do with everything from finances and you know, learning how to put together a resume to dealing with the emotional uh, rigors of uh, living in 2023. I know that you listened to that call today, that parole hearing, because I heard it like yeah. through the walls. Maybe in the after show, you can tell us more about what the uh, parole board people actually said, because I didn't get to hear the details of that. Sure. We're going to talk more about that in the after show, as well as talking about the latest in Adnan Syed's appeal. Oh, my God. So also last week, uh, the appeals court- Adnan should not have to be having an appeal. Just going to throw it out there. The court uh, denied uh, their Adnan's request to reconsider the decision about, uh, I guess, revoking, uh, what are we going to say? Reinstating Reinstating his his conviction conviction. because of a procedural error in the uh, hearing, the vacatur hearing. Oh, my God. The argument that that Adnan's lawyers made was that the one thing that the court didn't do was factor into whether or not it make a fucking difference at all. Yeah. So if the error, you know, would, this, would the outcome be the same if the error hadn't occurred? The answer is obviously no. Adnan would still have been released. But now uh, this stays alive. So we're going to talk about what happens in both these cases a little more in the after show. All right. Okay, so I'm really super looking forward to, um, after having a real tough week, the thing we're going to be talking about tonight. So can we just get to it? You go ahead and do it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now, Hal. I'm just going to do it. Billy. I'm just saying it's hard to imagine. She can't imagine it. The president is asking you to serve as ambassador to the United Kingdom. We have a plane waiting. We'd like you to get on it. It is an honor and a privilege. That's more like it. Career staffer Kate Weiler gets a surprise appointment to be U.S. ambassador to the U.K. during a moment of crisis. A sneak attack on a British ship has left dozens of sailors dead, but Kate is unconvinced Iran is behind the assault. The president of the United States can't stand next to a prime minister who has just hawked up an Islamophobic war whoop. He has to walk it back. Ambassador number 10 will walk back nothing. Nothing. Kate is unable to rein in her husband, a former ambassador known for his diplomatic connections and for going rogue. While she works to temper the prime minister's belligerent rhetoric, Kate learns the real reason she's been given the post. It's an audition to replace the politically disgraced vice president. You're not cut out for campaigning, clearly, but governing is something that you have managed to pull off under live artillery fire which is not unlike a chat with the U.S. Congress. It's entirely possible that you could be a reasonable lieutenant to help a lame duck legacy build overseas. Kerry Russell stars in Netflix's trending drama series The Diplomat. Kate must employ her skills as a former Foreign Service staffer to work with her British counterparts and avert a war. She also must negotiate her own domestic relations with a sexy foreign minister and the meddling husband who remains devoted to her. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about very significant plot points from The Diplomat. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Further note, I am the host of Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, but that has not influenced my review. And as far as I know, we are not covering The Diplomat on the podcast I host. So, Toby, 
Before we get into our review, I just have to acknowledge maybe the funniest text I've ever received from you about this show, which is you think the diplomat <laughs> is about a woman who basically won't listen to her husband. <laughs> <gasps> That was a joke, but it did, it did seem like a possible theme. Yeah. <laughs> it did seem like a possible theme. It'd be a lot less drama if she did. <laughs> Toby sent me that, and I was like, WTF? That's your fucking take? And Toby was like, no! And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> it was so, so, so funny. Okay, I will start with you, Toby, give you a chance to redeem yourself. Sure. Because he doesn't show- want it or need it. <laughs> because the show... I think has some very surprising and good writing choices. Like they don't do the things you typically expect. I think in episode one, we expect Hal to be a philanderer, for instance, and you find out that he's not. I mean, that's just one example, but there is some strong writing in this show. Yes or no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, in a whole bunch of different ways, one of which is the character of Hal, which I assume we're going to go into depth on. But, um, you know, the fact that it's about diplomats kind of gives them a little cover so that there's a lot, like a lot of the conversation is basically exchanging information, right? So it can really move the plot along pretty quickly because these are the conversations that diplomats would normally have. It's like, what's happening? What are we going to do about it? Who's in on this? Who's not in on this? But the dialogue itself, I thought was written really, really well. They do this kind of balancing act of making sure the audience sort of understands what they're talking about but also not being like too didactic or whatever, where it's, you know, they leave out the things that like diplomatic professionals would know already. So there's sort of this unspoken stuff, understandings that go on. There's a lot of subtext to some of the conversations. Uh, Once you sort of third, fourth, fifth episode, you sort of understand what the relationships are. The uh, conversations take on a little bit more depth. So, yeah, I thought it was, you know, in some ways, I think the writing is so good that it covers up like some of the lightness of the actual plotting, which can be a little silly at times. But the the quality of the dialogue, the quality of the the characterization of the main characters, I thought was was excellent. I want to actually respond to that uh, because what I love about the writing in this show is that they just drop us in with almost no ham-fisted exposition. We just come to know that Carrie Russell is not just a typical diplomat. She has this like foreign service, like very close to secret agent background. So it's almost like she's picking up like we're picking up like almost a homeland vibe from her. She's just this side of being. Uh, well, we should because one of the producers was from Homeland. Yes. So yeah, but she's she's not she's not CIA, but she's just this side of CIA with her diplomatic experience, yeah. where she has the sort of savvy of understanding how those channels work, and so she's not a typical diplomat where it's all um, subtext and coded language. She actually knows the real language, and she knows the real people, and she cuts through all the bullshit. But we're not actually told that; we just see it, and I can't tell you, Kevin. Carrie Russell, could they have picked a better person to play this role than Carrie Russell? No, I mean, I think she's perfect. I mean, probably she's perfect because she's an executive producer. Maybe it's the other way around, but definitely she is. She's sort of the right combo of um, like tough and vulnerable, the way she plays it. Just there's, like Elizabeth on the American. Yeah, well, I mean, there's this scene where Billy, who is the um, the chief of staff for the, the president, started describing like, this Goldilocks candidate that they want, what they're looking for in a vice president. It's bad for the guys, but for the women, fuck me. 
Is she pretty but not too pretty? Appealing but not hot? Confident but not bitchy? Decisive but not bitchy? Cute bitchy but not bitchy bitchy. And I think in a lot of ways, like that's that really is Carrie Russell. I mean that she she's both you know smart and intimidating and uh, beautiful, but uh, not intimidating to men or whatever. I mean she's just like this. She's just like the perfect actress uh, for this role. I gotta say, Lara, I wanted to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. This is the first show I've ever seen that acknowledges that women smell. Oh yeah, but that was one of a sexy scene. I mean, like, how can she make? having her armpit smelled sexy. Better. Are you sure? I can do the pit wash. No, you don't need it. What? Is it bad? No, it's really good. Oh my God, stop, stop. I don't know. If it, was, it was sexy. To, it was sexy to him. Yes. That was the point. Was that it was like, yes. this, is this bad or is it not bad? It's sexy to him. Which, Has by the way, perv. which, no, which, by the way, I'm sorry. That is a real marriage dynamic where, like, you can go up to your husband and be like, am I good? Am I not good? And, like, you, I'm, I've never, ever Kevin. seen that on television before or in a movie before or someone being like, do I smell between the legs before? Like, I've never fucking seen that Kevin. before. Tell me what Rebecca's armpit right now smells like. Do it. Do it. I'm going in. <laughs> it's fine. I didn't take a shower this morning, by the way. So, but it's still fine. <laughs> I wear, I wear, I wear the aluminum kind of deodorant that gives you cancer because I have to because I'm Italian. Oh, it smells fine. like oh, oh. laundry sauce. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never oh, seen it before. But it does show Laura. Like there's like a, yeah. it's not like this brittle, like, everyone's perfect on TV and where and wake, wakes up with makeup on. In fact, I don't think Carrie Russell wears much makeup on this show at all. Oh yeah, no. And I think that sort of goes with her, her sort of portrayal of this character as not wanting to wear these frilly outfits that they pick out for her when she gets over there and she like wants to wear her black and her traditional. And they're like, well, we've had so-and-so, you know, Pippa, the stylist has been here and it's like fucking Pippa. Um, <laughs> and so I think that, you know, from the beginning, we know this is not somebody that's going to be, um, you know, this little princess in this role. This is somebody that's a real woman and also somebody that is more interested in the job than in the appearances, which is is the whole, you know, theme of this until the part where, they want to fire her when she is what a day or two into yeah, the yeah, job. Yeah. yeah. And we see her all of a sudden she's like, well, where's the dress? They can't fire the princess. Can't fire Cinderella. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely a little disheveled at times. Yeah. And at, at times I was frustrated. I was like, Oh my God, get your shit together. But I was like, she's real. Yeah. No, I like that too. I think it's an interesting dynamic. And Toby, we, we nodded to it before, but the Hal character I think that we are given a hint that there's something. I mean, Carrie Russell's character tells us, you know, in the, the first episode, uh, we hear Kate say, you know, he steals all the oxygen from the room. He, you know, sabotages missions. He does this. He does that. So we hear one thing. And we also know that their marriage is problematic. So I think as a viewer, you're expecting all these tropes that you've seen a million times before, right? That he's probably a philanderer, that he's probably a narcissist that he's probably all these things. And then at the end of episode one, he gets kidnapped. So like, Oh God, this is probably this kind of show. But then like none of those things happen. You get this whole other set of things. He ends up being this like almost Clinton S guy, but not 
<laughs> he's like this reverse image of Bill Clinton in many ways. That's not your job anymore. It's his. I didn't do any of that because you did it for me. I was doing something else, right? If everybody hates you, Hal, it all stops. Does it? Yeah. Well, you hate me. I'm still sitting on your bed. I don't know. I just think that the Hal character is one of the most interesting characters I've seen in television in a really long time. What do you think about Hal? He does sort of defy expectations, and it's a little bit hard to pin down because it's clear that it sort of seems like he can't help himself, but sort of making himself the center of attention, kind of subverting stuff she's trying to do. And then sometimes doing things that he thinks are in everybody's best interests, but in fact probably are not, are probably just in his best interests. But he's also not. right a lot of the time. Yeah, then a lot of the times <laughs> he's right and he's actually like very supportive of her for the most part and offers her good advice and encouragement and kind of knows how to relate to her when, when things get super stressful or she's doubting herself or whatever, he, he's able to sort of meet those needs in sort of a, a, a compassionate and, and informed way. And I think there is kind of this tension in that she really doesn't trust almost anything he does. And sometimes you're wondering, okay, is she just paranoid about this? Yes. I mean, is this, this kind of seems like, like what else is he supposed to do? She sort of expects him to philander, if that is how you would put it. Um, but he's got some certain physical problems that that keep him from actually. Well, she says going that's the one thing she knows he won't do. Right, right. But she's expecting him to philander intellectually and and like right. to betray her in the world stage. And I think we as viewers expect that too because she expects it. But that's actually not what he's doing. Well, she's looking for a reason. Like a like a legit reason to to get rid of him. Yes, right. Other than you know the fact that uh, she doesn't trust him, right? And there's an interesting sort of I, I don't know if it was a throwaway line, but it really resonated with me because I spent all this trying to figure out the Hal character. Because mm-hmm. you're right, we're kind of told that like don't you you don't know him until you know him, and then you know or whatever the the line was. Because he does come off as you know being. Supportive yet being his own worst enemy because he feels like he needs to be involved either directly or indirectly, right? But when they have that scene where he, he goes into the pond with Dennison's sister and he ends up, you know, reporting back to Kate, like what happened, he made a line about like how the woman touched his penis, but basically said something like, you know, nothing happens unless you're the one that touches it, right? So yeah. now he's not just saying, like, I, I can only get it up for you. It's It kind of said something emotional mm-hmm. in that as well. You know, so I don't know. It's like gathering intel at the same time. It is. It is. You know, I think you're right because Kate is a good character. And you're right. Somebody give her a comb for fuck's sake. Uh, and some it, shampoo. And some shampoo and some deodorant, I guess. <laughs> Listen, we we accept poorly groomed. How about a Tide stain stick for when she we drops yogurt on her pants? We accept poorly groomed male characters all the fucking time. Right, right. We do. I have a question. Well, they do though. a great job with that, but just let me say, they do a great job with that, but you're like, what is the deal with Hal? But how much of it yeah. is because it's Rufus Sewell playing him? I don't know. He, he, well, because he, we're used to seeing him as villains. Be, yes. We see yes. him as villains every Whoever fucking Whoever does Hal has to be charming. Yeah. Because we have to like him because otherwise it's like, well, fuck this guy. Let it just, you know, kick him to the curb. Yeah. But he plays a villain in every fucking thing we but see him But a Nazi for crying out loud. <laughs> but he does. But I think what comes through is that even though their marriage has issues, even though he's still doing things behind the scenes... 
the partnership of the two of them working together in diplomacy previously really comes through in a way that you recognize that together they're a pretty good unit when they're working together, despite all of his issues and her insecurities about stepping forward and being the one who's out front instead of him being the one who's out front for this time. You know who also is a good unit works together? Who? The four of us when we put our stuff out on Patreon. Oh, what an amazing transition to the business section, Kevin. When you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you can sign up for all sorts of great things, including the Crime Writers on After Show. Like we said, we're going to do a little more of our own discussion, our own thoughts about what happened uh, last week with Leo Schofield and Adan Syed. Also, there's things coming up... uh, Toby's going to be recording his next episode on Wednesday of the Deep Dive Book Club podcast. The book is called Motor Spirit. It's about the um, the Zodiac killer and the hunt for who he might really be. And you got some superstars joining you on the podcast, right? Uh, I do. I've got Rebecca, I've got Janet Farney, and I've got Jillian Pensavalli. Amazing. And just so people know, it's at a special time. It's 4 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, uh, this Wednesday the 10th. Yep. Toby asked today for uh, people to send him two-sentence bio, so I sent Jillian's for him. Uh, <laughs> uh, gets the work done, wears black. That's it. <laughs> Sums I mean, it up. The reality is, is that anybody who's listening to the deep dive knows who Jillian is. That's right. Yeah. Like, yes. it, it feels They also know that your to. intros go on for a paragraph. <laughs> I know. I've stopped doing that. I've, I'm down to like one sentence per person yeah. unless they're brand new no and nobody one needs knows that. that. Yeah. No one needs it. Everyone's there already. We know who everybody is. Like they're already mm-hmm. listening to the podcast, Toby. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, they're going to be super short from now on. So if Kate and Hal had a podcast, it would be called Married with Podcast or maybe Married with Ambassador Chips. I love Hal. Uh, I'd marry Hal in four fucking seconds. Yeah. He's pretty hot. You got to marry. You got to divorce me in three, though. You know, well, keep going. Sorry. All right. Well, speaking of divorce on the latest (laughs) Married with Podcast, Rebecca and I answered a question from Jennifer, who is interested in using a divorce coach. Sounds like a great idea to me. Yeah. Hadn't heard of this. Did a little research. We have some advice for her. So if you sign up right now at the let's do what we do level. Yeah, we do. You can uh, get ad-free episodes of Crime Writers on and get them early. As soon as they're done, as soon as we hit save on the file, we send them right out to you. No waiting you for get the them morning. early, yeah. Like, I put out tonight's Wednesday when we're taping this. Tomorrow's podcast Thursday is already out. Yeah. So if you you're on ar- Patreon, it's already out. So you already be, already be angry with Rebecca's voice or Toby's uh, thumbs down. You already be Laura's raging ca- about yes. my cackle. Be, be the first to rage about Rebecca's cackle. <laughs> All that's available at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Okay, so Toby, aside from Carrie Russell's very indelicate eating of mussels in a Parisian restaurant, you think that there are some absurdist parts to this story that you, you say do work because of the good writing, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the things about this storytelling that like you think are absurdist but may or may not work because I know that like you're a really good writer and you like to dive into that stuff. Yeah, I don't think it's like intentionally absurd. I I assume. I mean, it's just, it'd be weird if it was. But I mean, there's just some just some basic things like the idea that so when she's identified as being a potential vice president, like literally what she is is the wife of the ambassador to Afghanistan or or somewhere around there, and she does work with 
know, trying to get Afghans who uh, collaborated with Americans out of Afghanistan. So but wasn't she, she about really, to be appointed the ambassador to somewhere else? And they sent her to the UK instead? Or, yeah, Iraq or something. I, yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, but the idea that that would be somebody who you would pick to be a vice president just seems so weird. Like, it's just yeah. so, mm-hmm. like, I don't think, I was Maybe like trying to think of like. something else in her resume that we didn't know about. That's kind but of what was I'm she wondering. like a like a member of the House of Representatives or no? No, you're, the, the political logic on that is really strained. Yeah. So it's it's okay. It's bizarre. I was like trying to think. I was like, okay, Eisenhower, uh, maybe Ulysses Grant. I mean, I, I was trying to think of people who who hadn't already had some governance. Um, Clarence Thomas's wife. Yeah. Well, yeah. I well, I was trying to think of like who's the closest I can think of, and I could only come up with like Samantha Power. Remember when she like kind of was a minor celebrity for a bit, foreign yeah. policy celebrity. Yeah. Um, anyway, so- Valerie um, Plame. It would be like Valerie Plame being nominated. Yeah, yeah, guys, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's that's actually a better one. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's this whole thing with with this sort of crotchety old Tory woman. Um, uh-huh. Oh, you mean the one that caused Carrie Russell to get her husband potentially murdered? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, the whole thing, she kind of has this weird- place and there's like this sort of pivotal meeting uh at her house which just didn't ring very her hobbit house very true to me (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know there's also this like sexual tension between her and the uh the minister of state for the uk uk austin denison foreign minister yeah and it's just like i don't this seems like we're getting to lifetime territory like is it real though that's what i wonder is it real yeah. Is it real what? Is it real for Kate? That's what yeah, I Yeah, I don't know. But the whole idea that that's even like on the table, it's like, can you imagine? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for the ambassador to the to the UK from the US would have an affair with like a, <laughs> the minister of state. Who's also UK. rich. That's just he's fucking also insanity. Like, he's also part of like the total like crusty upper crusty crusty class but i i think that toby goes to sort of one of the things about this it's a little hard to figure out is it like is this a spy thriller is this more of like uh throwing in some rom-com stuff is there some comedy is that i mean there's a little bit of everything thrown in there and i think throwing in these like hints of sex um and in some cases sex um takes away from to me just the way that it's done sort of the urgency of what happened that landed them in this diplomatic situation where they're all scrambling, trying to prevent like a world war, you know? Yeah. Their, their, their little brawl where they go like flying through the bushes and the the guys are laughing at them. It's like, all right, what are we watching now? Like, did we suddenly switch to something different? Here's what I love. I love the tiny moments in this show. I love the ways that they use the locations and they use like very specific um, situational things and locations to get things done. So when the, when the Russian ambassador hands her the little cigarette paper and has her do the meeting in the wine cellar, right? Oh, that was Mm -hmm. fun. So the hands are the thing he's yelling at her through a door, but then we watch Kate run down four sets of stairs around the corner on a London street into a wine shop, into a wine cellar, right? Extremely mm-hmm. fucking atmospheric. When Kate and Dennison's sister drive next door off the estate, they pass the gate guard. And they're like, you are, you're here watching the football? Yeah. Cricket. He lets them out. Cricket, yeah. yeah. He lets them out. 
that they go and she's she's like, I'm not going into your dusty Hobbit house. Like they use location and sense of place so fucking well in this show. Like they make England like a character in the show and they made Paris when they went there to a character, but like they take advantage of the setting, even the house where they make Kate and Hal live, make them live. I mean, Hal loves it, right? <laughs> He's like, I got my paper. The only thing I want is a car. And the way I'm going to get it is to walk out into the street and pretend I don't know that like right is left and left is right. Mm-hmm. But like Kate's like, can you fucking believe it? I, I think that they are using the set pieces so well here in a way that like we haven't seen even like in the crown, Kevin, like the set pieces are just what they are, like the background for like, you know, the crown. I don't know. I just think it's like huge, like in a, in a super intriguing way. Um, what do you think, Kevin? Like, what do you think about sort of the world of this show? Well, the world building is really interesting because it does mirror a lot of what's sort of happening in the real world. You can see that uh, Michael McKean, you know, uh, uh, Lenny from Lenny and Squiggy, you know, that he, he's playing the president. Idiot. Who, who is kind of a, <laughs> who's kind of a, maybe a, a little gruffer version of uh, Biden, who happens to have a you know female vice president, and you know they talk they didn't talk about COVID, but they certainly talked about you know Russia invading Ukraine, and so you know it kind of set it's it, the world that it's set in is very similar to ours. So some of the political rules of physics remain the same. But also, you know, the whole setting between, you know, you're you're in this new sort of world for us as viewers, like, you know, Homeland, where there's a whole bunch of uh, trade craft. You see that with the diplomats sort of talking in, you know, ways that are supposed to be building ties and easing tensions, but also their access to um, the intelligence services that are clandestinely hidden within their embassies and things like that. So, it does uh, show us a different world in which uh, the action uh, happens. Yeah. I like it, uh, Toby, in terms of the writing, that things don't work out the way. Like, you're told things are going to happen and they don't happen the way they're supposed to work out. Like, one other example of that is that Kate's, like, supposed to go to the White House and have, like, this big meeting and, like, you know, say something's supposed to happen and then she goes. And as, as, as unrealistic as so many things are in this show, I don't think it's unrealistic that you show up for a big meeting and then it's like... 30 people in the room, you don't get to talk. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think there's, there's different times where sort of the, the hierarchy comes into play, like who's really in charge and like who can make calls about different things and stuff like that. So she goes all the way over there, spills stuff on her pants, uh, goes Yogurt. into the oval office <laughs> and she doesn't even get a chance to, uh, to say anything. And she actually, not that anybody else really gets it, but, but sort of gets put in her place by the secretary of state who's, she's just sort of tried to screw, uh, figuratively. Again, I think some of the plotting in this is is pretty good. I mean, it rests on some absurd stuff like at the end where you're supposed to like buy that to keep Scotland, I guess, the British prime minister would pay a Russian militia to kill, to attack a British warship and kill people so that the nation will rally around the PM and then Scotland won't go independent and he won't go down as a prime minister who lost uh, the UK. So wasn't that what you got out of it? Yeah, I actually <laughs> thought, here's what I thought. I thought that's the story that Tory lady told them 
Meg's. May. I, that's what I thought. She told them to get them on board with her to get them to do what she wanted when she's actually trying to get them on board with her to trust her, uh, which is why Carrie Russell trusted her enough to call her and be like, do you know this guy that my husband's meeting? Right. Um, I don't think any of that Scotland shit was true. I think that was just like her way of sort of bringing them in to be complicit with her. So then why do you think the prime minister hired? I don't fucking know. I don't I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a Scotland thing. Yeah. May, may have been the Scotland thing. But all I do know, all I do know is the reason that that car blew up and that Hal, I don't think Hal, Hal can't be dead. He can't be dead, right? No. Can killing I ask you about that car be, thing, though? Yeah, killing Hal would be the worst choice. But I think Ronnie's dead. It's Carrie Russell's fault that that bomb happened because she, that bomb only happened because she called her and said, do you know this guy? And that's what triggered the thing. But like, like they can't kill Hal. Wouldn't you plant the bomb before the guy goes into the restaurant and tells them all the secrets? Like I couldn't get, I it just seemed weird. It's an overly elaborate way to keep somebody quiet. Yeah, it's like, well, we'll wait until he goes in there and tells them stuff, and then when he goes out, we'll kill him, and that'll show him. I, I like, I couldn't quite figure out the logic behind. Maybe the idea is they would all walk out of the restaurant together, and then he'd get in his and car jump into and, his tiny little car, all four of them. Or that they'd seems be saying unlikely. goodbye to they'd be saying goodbye together on the street, right I don't at know, the I, car. Come I on. never understand the car. <laughs> well, but we don't. By the way, somebody set the bomb off. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I, he Didn't he open the door? I don't ever know how. Some you of the look car like you're playing Nintendo key. with your little fingers. I know. I think somebody <laughs> saw who was near the car and set the bomb off. That's what I assumed. I don't. I thought he'd reached and was opening. I mean, it doesn't even matter, like, what the mechanism was. It's just, like, it seems like you're kind of doing it, like, on the wrong side of the meeting. It's yeah. like, if you don't want the information to get up, you get them before the meeting, not afterwards. I was expecting Mr. Wyler. Do you understand? I do not wish to speak to anyone from your embassy. Mr. Grove. Sorry, I'm late. Mr. Grove. Merit. The ending was like, like I could see why they were like, yeah, this is awesome. We'll get Pink Floyd, great gig in the sky, and there'll be lights, and people will be like looking worried, and nobody will know what's going on. But it's so removed from the entire way the entire rest of the series has been that to me it was just like what is going like why are they doing this now like why is it only at the very last like one minute of this entire season cliffhanger they suddenly go to this like weird thing where everything's ambiguous you don't know what the hell's going on like that's not there's been no lead up to it that's like that i mean it's kind of like at the end of yellow jackets when suddenly like people are bursting into uh juliet lewis's like yeah, uh hotel true. room with guns it's like what the fuck this is what i was watching yeah so kevin i just want to like say something to you that i was all oh, the entire time we were watching this i kept saying where do i know prime minister from rory kinnear where do i know him from where do i know him from remember the actor yeah i fucking finally figured it out and i'll tell you where i knew him from Go i ahead. don't know his face yeah I know his voice. He's the audiobook reader for the Anthony Horowitz Hawthorne series. What? Oh, wow. Every time I would hear him talk, I'd be like, where do I know him from? I knew his face from shit, but it was his fucking voice. See, I remember him <laughs> playing the prime minister in an episode of Black Mirror. Okay. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. This was the episode in which the princess 
was kidnapped, or a princess was kidnapped. For the and, pig thing. Right. Oh. And she, the kidnapper would release the princess if the prime minister would fuck a pig mm. on live <gasps> TV. Mm. What? Wait, wait, what? Yes, yes, that was it, yes. And, and they tried everything, like, oh, we're not going to do it, and all of a sudden the princess's toe shows up, you know, in a box, and they're like, oh, we really got to do it, and so... They're like all these restrictions, you know, no green screen. No, you can't put the. He really had. So in the end, they gave him a pill so he could do it. Wait, they had him, what? And then all of, and all of you know, England is watching and they're laughing. And then after he's fucking the pig for a while, everyone's like really disappointed and upset. And the princess comes home. And anyway, it's just the way that I remember him being prime minister. Yes. So I have a question for you, Kevin. Yeah, I've never fucked a pig. But no, keep, no, no, yeah. no. Before we do our review, <laughs> yeah. what is the deal with Kate and Hal's breakfast ritual? Oh, well, I think it's kind of symbolic, actually. All right, so you want to explain to the audience like what, how you interpret their breakfast ritual, what it is. Like, okay, yeah, he well, fills a plate with food. Right. And then she, and he, he eats it, and she picks off of it, and then yeah. that's their breakfast. He'll, like, take some, like, he'll take a muffin specifically and put it someplace, and maybe he'll eat some of it, but she'll go, come by later. She's like, I don't eat it, and she'll just even. grab a, a whatever. And I think it's a little symbolic of sort of the relationship where he kind of understands what she needs, and instead of just giving it to her, he, like, sets it up, leaves it there to, you know, so to facilitate that. Um, you know, it's like he he's leaving her scraps, but it's the scraps that she wants and that she needs. Maybe it's a little more than scraps, but but I think sort of Kate's problem overall is that she doesn't have agency. She's got all these men in her life telling her the things that she can't do. Husband says you can't divorce me. President says you can't resign. You can't quit. The prime minister and the foreign minister are like, no, we're not going to do these very reasonable things that you say. And I think it's an interesting sort of theme here on, on both diplomacy and feminism and the limits of those with, you know, specifically white cis straight men who don't want to play by those rules. I think it's a much I think it's that, but I think it's more than that. And there's something about women and food as well. Oh, okay. There's like a lot of like stuff around women and like eating and food where there's like some like weird visual stuff about like, you know, having a plate of food in front of you and eating it, which by the way, she breaks the norm with when she's in Paris fucking with her elbow deep in the muscle pot when she's finally right, sitting right. there. But she also knows the time that they had breakfast together when they're both having Correct. croissants. But as opposed when they're equal again. Trying to avoid an armed conflict between Russia and NATO. You're getting it everywhere. I'm not. Yes, you are. You're getting everywhere. They're fucking kick us out when they realize we're soiling the place. I don't place. think you should be eating shitty British croissants. You're gonna be having the real deal tomorrow. In your Parisian boudoir. I know, but I'm kind of into the British version. They're bready. I like it. Or the, the time they broke into the kitchen in the middle yes, of the night. There's right, all, yeah, there's all yeah. these weird broken norms around food. But when it's like the breakfast time and it's whatever, she also doesn't like to ask for things, right? Mm -hmm. She likes to just sort of have things be there and just sort of pick up what's being laid down, right? And to sort of say like, Hal, do you want to make me? She would never say, Hal, make me a plate. She would never say like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he just sort of makes a plate and like, he doesn't make a plate for him and her. He makes a plate for him with the her stuff sort of on the side. Yep. It's just, it's a very lovely thing. It's very real, but it also sort of speaks to like how women are and food stuff is, which I fucking love. I've never seen that before. Never. All right, let's do what we do. Let, let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Diplomat on Netflix? What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Diplomat? 
So I'm going to go thumbs up on this because this was something that was, it was fun to watch. Everybody was watching it. So I was really excited when we had a sort of last minute switch and this was something we were going to review. Um, It was something, you know, for me, I sat there over the weekend and it was like a great weekend binge watch. Um, I didn't finish The Americans. I know you guys were really in all the way, but I did watch a few seasons. To me, this character is different for Carrie Russell. It's a little bit more um, softball in terms of being uh, not as sure of herself. But honestly, overall, you know, the chemistry between Harry Russell's character and Rufus Sewell's character and also the extremely um, handsome UK foreign secretary's character, you know, it's it's just fun. It's a fun sort of light. I, I'm going to call it a lighthearted sort of spy thriller type show. It's not as intense as some. It's it's more, I mean, there's romance thrown in there. There's location porn thrown in there. You know, there were parts that I agree with Toby were like, you're like, okay, this is one where you have to suspend disbelief to go down this road. But overall, it was something that I enjoyed watching. And after the finale, I am very eager to see what happens in season two. Tell me about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Diplomat on Netflix? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I, I enjoyed it. I I kind of characterize it as having like grade A writing on kind of a grade B plot with some like grade C and D stuff that gets stuck in every once in a while. But I think that ends up being basically fun uh, for the most part. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's one of the few things that we've done for Crime Writers On that I watched with my wife. We watched it uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty like one after the other after the other. Uh, so, so we were definitely in binge mode. So yeah, it's a, it's a thumbs up. I, I don't think it's like a classic, but uh, it, it definitely was enjoyable to watch. So yeah, I'd recommend. Kevin Flynn, I'm gonna go thumbs up. I like this. It was playful. Um, in some ways, I thought the character, it was a really interesting dynamic with the two lead characters, the husband and wife. Uh, you want to see Carrie Russell succeed here, and there's always, you know, a catastrophe around every corner. Every time you think that uh, they've moved the ball downfield, getting closer to peace, something else changes. So it's a really good, uh, it's a really good thriller, and I think a great star vehicle for uh, actors uh, like uh, Carrie Russell and uh, Rufus Sewell. Yeah, I love the show. It's sort of like uh, Homeland meets the Americans meets Borgen with a little bit of Killing Eve thrown in. Um, incredibly wonderful and diverse cast. It is just fun. I mean, and not and not predictable, which is what I loved about it. There's so many tropey and dumb things this show could have done and did do a couple of those things, but it didn't do enough of those things to like make it really flawed. Um a couple weeks ago, I was talking about Perry Mason, and I said Matthew Reese is an actor that I will follow and watch in literally anything. For me, Carrie Russell is another one of those actors. It just so happens that Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell are married to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Carrie Russell. I've been watching Carrie Russell since season one of Felicity. Carrie Russell is just a fucking incredible actor. And I will say it again. The Americans is my favorite show that has ever been on television bar none. And it is because of Carrie Russell and her fucking electrifying performance. Every minute she was on the screen. Nobody does the steely spine and complete believability as a woman who's also wondering what her armpits smell like. Uh, in the way that Carrie Russell can. And I just, 
absolutely adore her. And this is the perfect vehicle for her. So yeah, huge thumbs up for me for The Diplomat. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. The crime of the week. A fifth grader from Great Falls, Montana, has applied for a job at her elementary school. She wants to be the new principal. That's P-A-L for pal. The district is looking for a replacement for Brian Miller, who's moving to a new school. That's when Ruth Ross Miller submitted her cover letter, resume, and a 10-page application to be the new principal of Chief Joseph Elementary. Ruth got an in-person interview along with the other top candidates. She answered questions about dealing with conflict between teachers and students and what she would do if a substitute teacher didn't show up. Asked what she would change about the school, Ruth said she'd increase the amount of food donations to the lunch bags given to students in need. Also, Taco Tuesday. Alas, the district chose to hire a grown-up, but they praised Ruth for her courage and have offered her the chance to be principal for a day. So panel, if you had been appointed principal of your elementary school, what changes would you have made? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Yeah, if I was principal for a day, I think I would have split my teeny tiny elementary school in Vermont into six classrooms instead of three. And then it would have been extremely exciting because you would have gotten to move between more classrooms than just the three. It would have been bespoke. Toby Ball, if you've been appointed a principal of your elementary school, what changes would you have made? I went to four different elementary schools. (gasps) So Mm. exotic. I went to an American school in West Germany. I went to like a public school in New Jersey. I went to like a hippie alternative elementary school in New Jersey. And then we moved to Syracuse and I went to another public one. But you know what all of those could have used? What's that? I agree with Ruth. Taco Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Kevin? I would have had the boys rule, girls drool section. Huh? Uh, and so it would just be uh, no more indoor recess. Outside, no matter what. I would have given my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Washington, and my first grade teacher, Mrs. Sirota, each raises and given them $200,000 a year because, man, they put up with my shit Mm. and everyone else's shit in a big way. And I would have given myself all A's. All A's. A-A-A. Although I think in elementary school- I think you school, already got all A's. Right? It was O-O-O for outstanding. Remember yeah. those old ass report cards? I had like one, two, oh, and three. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. All right, that's going to do it for us. So Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you about your tiny ass Vermont school, how can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker, and we certainly didn't have social media or even technology at that tiny ass school. We had abacuses. <laughs> Toby Ball, abacai. Toby Ball, folks going to reach out to you and find out about more about your hippie ass upbringing. How can they find you on social media? At Toby Ball and H. As he sits there in his tie dye shirt. Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found? I'm still at Kevin P. Flynn for some reason. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on social media at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our truly wonderful and supportive Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Go to Facebook, find Crime Writers On. We have a page there. Hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You're helping us do our work when you join Patreon, and you'll get tons of free stuff when you join us there. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. 
This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement, where we also determine our suitability for formal events by sniffing each other's armpits. On behalf of each other's, on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Two things. Last week, uh, look at that fucking cat just walking by the. I just saw cat ass on the. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Latchkey cat. Latchkey cat. Latch cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, Take that out, take, and I'll do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Is in crime media. media.